Welcome to Cherry Hibiscus Tea, where we beat the artist behind the words. I'm your host, L.M. Bennett, and joining us this week is our guest, Verde Arzu. Verde, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We are so happy to have you here. I can't even tell you. (laughs) Wow. I am. Yes, I am. I was like, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) So for those of you who are meeting Verde for the first time, Verde is an author and educator hailing from the great state of Illinois, Chicago to be more specific. She graduated from Fisk University with a BA in history and earned a master's degree in special education from National University. Currently, she lives in Northern California with her wife and fur babies, and she's working towards a post-grad writing certificate from UC Berkeley. And now that we know these things about you, tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did you grow up to become Verde Arzu? Um, <clears throat> well, how did I grow up to become Verde? Well, uh, I, I, I would like to think that um, writing is just something that's always been a part of who I am. I can recall pretending to write before I even could put t- together a sentence coherently. And um, it's just something I always did. It, it's just something that I've done all my life. And like a f- few years ago, I I decided to start taking classes at UC Berkeley Extension to get my, um, my post-bac certificate in writing. And that's when I really started to take things seriously. Like, I want to make this dream come true. I want to make it a reality. And then um, from there, I just one class after the next class. And then, um, you know, one day I just um, decided, hey, I I want to publish. I want to publish my work after taking this class called Developing the Novel. And um, the the, uh, professor, she was really just so... Um, informative with so many resources and I just felt like I had enough to take some steps and so that's what I did I went out and found me an editor and you know the rest is history and um, Verde comes from my father my dad is uh, Honduran he's no longer with us and uh, I just wanted to pay tribute to him and, and just that part of my life uh, so when you look at me, you don't you don't see that, right? So, um, and it's something that I've like kind of dealt with. It's like as I grew older, just trying to you know deal with that part of myself. So it's like, hey, I, I'm more than you know what what meets the eye. So it's kind of like uh, uh, a nod to my daddy. That's very sweet. Um, how long ago did you lose your father? Um, my father passed away in, what was it, when the last time I go home? What, 2016, 17, I think? I went went back home to Chicago. I'm very sorry to hear that. No, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, now, Verde, your background is in special education, where you advocate for equity for students of color and especially those with learning disabilities, which is very admirable. What drew you to that field? Like, was it a specific person or was it a situation? Um, I, I think that my my passion for um, fighting for the underdog is really what drew me there and I've been I've worked with children pretty much every age group and um just from my experiences like I've worked with I worked in a daycare center I worked in after school programs um I worked in um this with every age group basically and when you start to see the disparities is it's uh it's frightening and um, I wanted to uh, just, I wanted to try to have an impact where, where it was most, most needed. And you oftentimes see a lot of black and brown kids in special education. And, um, you know, I wanted to do something about that. So that's really what drew me into special education. 
it's like I want to go there and um and, and try to make an impact and help you know close some of these gaps in their learning and help them see and, and feel like they can be successful in life too. And that's very rewarding work, I can imagine. It's rewarding, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough as hell is what it is. Uh, I, I can imagine, I can imagine that too. I mean, with kids, it's it's challenging to begin with, but um, I can I can imagine that it would be even more so challenging. Yeah, um, you know, these days with distance learning, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's so hard right now. I, <laughs> I can't even explain it, but, uh, you know, we, we are making the most of what we have. And so um, the kids are, are there every day. So I'm there every day. And, um, you know, we just, just trying to, you know, push through. But yeah, it is rewarding, especially, I mean, when there are um, success stories, you know, it's like, hell yeah, you know, you know, it's like, this is why I'm here. But oftentimes it's, it's a lot of just work, just a lot of work that unless you're in special ed or a teacher in general, it's like, you don't really have any idea what it's like so i got you um i have a, a friend whose uh, children are doing distance learning for the first time and it's um it's a challenge mm. uh because they're they're not used to learning long distance and um I just know it's it's tough out there for everybody. So um, I just I have a lot of admiration for the teachers who are doing it and they're pushing through, and they're showing up every day for these these kids um, who they're confused. They don't know what's going on, and and just it's just more and more uh, stress for everybody. So I just really commend uh, you guys that are showing up every day and doing the best that you can. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, I take the love. I'm taking the love from everybody <laughs> and uh, shout out to all the teachers out there um, getting up every day and, um, and doing the work. Big shout out to the teachers. Now here at Cherry Hibiscus Tea, we are all family. We are queer black creatives and everyone has a coming story. I've been doing this podcast for six weeks and no two stories are the same as I told Faraday off camera. Um, tell us, when did you realize that you were a lesbian and who was the first person you told? I'm a lesbian? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Ma'am, if you're not, I got some explaining to do. Nah, I'm kidding. <laughs> When you know what, I, I I think that you know it's always been there. You know, you get the little signs, you know what's up. Um, but the first, when was the first time that I that I tell someone? Hmm. I think I told one of my good friends when I was uh, before I went to Fisk. Um, it it was uh it was right after my divorce. I was married to a man. That's a whole different story. But uh, and then um, after that, uh, I real you know during that time, I realized that this was not the life for me. I was young. We were only married for a year, and then um, what? So what happened was I actually told. This is the first time I'm ever telling anybody this, like in the world, like on a podcast. This is some serious shit. Really? Not, no, oh, no, wow. not, okay. like not like this part I'm getting ready to talk about right now. So I was uh I was married and I and I was having these dreams, like these feelings and these emotions, and I and I really couldn't I didn't know what to do with them. And um I I decided to share them with my my at the time my husband. And again, we were young, and when I told him, I think it may have crushed his ego. And I don't know if he knew what to do with it, the information that I gave him. And so instead of 
uh, us going to counseling or, you know, doing what, an, you know, a mature adult would do. He went and started telling people all outside of our lives, like, I'm a lesbian, I'm gay, I was sleeping with my best friend. And it was just a devastating time for me because I, I hadn't accepted what was happening to me. You know, I was at the beginning stages of it, you know, and I really was just like, I haven't done a damn thing other than share this, these dreams and feelings with you. And more so in the hopes that, you know, we could kind of work through them. But um, so then, you know, that ended. And uh, I think the first time I told anybody was uh, a good friend of mine uh, that, you know, this is just who I am. And it wasn't until a year later when I got to Fisk that um, I told my mother. When I told my mom, it was just like I was in, I was uh, dating my wife at the time and we were going through it. And it was like my first real relationship with a woman. And, um, you know, she, it was just a tough time. And so my, I, I, I didn't have, I had to talk to my mom. It was like, it was like one of those moments, like this is not a conversation for anybody else other than my mother. Like, I don't want to hear shit from nobody else. And so I, I just told my mom, I was like, listen, mom, I need your advice. <laughs> and this is who I am. And I'm, let's move past that because my heart hurts right now. And so uh, my mom told me, she was like, I think you're confused. So, <laughs> But she still, you know, gave me my advice and, you know, listened to me, never really judged me, came down on me in any kind of way. She has her opinions about it, but um, just like her love and acceptance of me as her child and a human being, that has never wavered or changed or anything like that. And I think it's what really helped me at the beginning stages of everything. Just like, you know, as long as I got, you know, you know, when you have the support of your mother, it's like, shit, I'm going to get through it. So that's kind of like my coming out story right there. I get you. Um, what, I'm, I'm, what I'm noticing is that a lot of people um, that I've interviewed, like they've had that first conversation with mom. <laughs> Like, forget everybody else. Like, it's mom is is kind of sort of like the litmus test, like the most important person um, that you tell that to. And um, damn everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if, if, if mom is good, then I don't care what the rest of y'all MFs think. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it's not, it wasn't that, it's not that cut and dry, but you know, I, mm-hmm. I think you, you feel me. It's like, hey, once... I just can't imagine what it would have been like if my mom would have been, you know, came down on me in some of the ways that I've heard and how devastating something like that could be for you're already dealing with with the, you know, the overall feelings and emotions of being so different and every in the whole society and everyone telling you that you're different and and what you're doing is wrong. And you just you're trying to come to terms with that. And then on top of that, having your loved ones, you know, be, you know, against you as well. Although I I did deal with that as well, but it didn't come from my mom, you know, directly. Like, I'm going to reject you as a a person now and I don't love you and stay away from me kind of deal. So. And I'm glad that you did not experience that from your mom. Um, And I just want to touch on something that I read on your website uh, about the distinction that you make between the words queer and lesbian as it relates to your personal identity. And I just wanted you to expand upon why that distinction is important to you. Um, Well, because I think when when I was, you know, when I came out and was living my life as gay. Um, it was lesbian. Everything was lesbian, lesbian, and queer was kind of a bad, bad word. And you didn't really call somebody queer. Uh, at least the people I hung around, we didn't call each other queer. Um, and then, just like in the last few years, I think that it, it's a term that 
has been accepted in the community is okay. And it's like, nah, we, we, we're taking that turn back kind of like the N word, like, nah, this is, you know, within, when it, within ourselves, this is, this is who we are. And we, we okay with that. Like, you know, this isn't, we're not going to let this be a derogatory term basically. And so I, um, the, the distinction is just there for me in that way, because I didn't like, that's not a term that I've been using for like, for example, a decade, right? It, I'm okay with queer now because that is a term that the community has accepted. But I think that it's it's okay to acknowledge that and not just move on past it. Like we've been queer forever. I don't, and not from my experiences anyway. It's very similar to, I think, um, like black people. We're still trying to figure out who we are. We black. Negro, we African American, we Afro American, you know, like when I think when you deal with rejection and subjugation, um, um, you really try to figure out like who who am I and what is my identity, right? And then you start to take back some of those um, things that were used for your for for your harm, and you make them you make them out to be things that you use to, to make yourself more powerful. Gotcha. Um, and I know that there's a, there's a lot of discussion, which we're probably not going to get into on this show about the use of the N word and taking it back. I mean, I, I find that people, they're either like on one side very firmly or they're on the other side. Yeah. Like they are either like, I don't want to ever hear that word no matter what, no matter who's using it. And then others are just like, but it's a word that I use to describe X, Y, Z. It's our word. I'm taking it back. Mm -hmm. So I understand how um, the word queer could be, or it was divisive at a time. But um, like you said, we've moved past the point where the word queer is more accepted in our community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially black queer, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm like I'm like on the fence about the N word too. I I understand I understand both sides of that of that. I do. Philia, thank you for sharing that bit of yourself with us. Um, and thank you for, for telling us that bit of information that you've never shared before in the podcast. I always, um, I always feel honored when um, someone tells us, me, something that they have not shared publicly before. Yeah. And I like giving people the, the space to reveal a little bit of a, themselves that they have not revealed before. Mm -hmm. um, I always feel it's, um, it's important to give people a safe space to do that as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. Because as soon as I was like, am I going to go back this far? I'm like, <laughs> yes, you are. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm nosy. Um, anybody... <laughs> Anybody who is who I've interviewed, they're just like, oh, wow. So how did you find out? And I'm like, oh, well. Yeah, you did your research. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I do. I'm very, very nosy. Like, I'm Pearl from 227. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> now, I just want to get in a little bit more about your writing. I'm done being nosy for now. For now. But um, I want to talk a little bit more about your, your writing, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so you said earlier, like you were writing before you were writing, just like scribbling. Like, when did you start like writing for real? Like, when did you start uh, engaging in creative writing? Mm -hmm. So I started getting serious about it in high school. Um I was just writing about that actually when I, the first time I can remember really getting down and serious about it was I, um, my English teacher actually, um, she somehow found about, found out about um, this uh, contest where we could submit a play 
And if we won uh, first place, second place, or third place, you had the opportunity to go and get your um, play put on stage by um, professionals. Or um, and, and in high school, I was really big in, into plays. I, I just I just wrote uh, just a ton of plays. And um, so this was like, I was so excited. I was all into it. I, I wrote this really from what I can remember, this really long play, then I typed it all up and I submitted it. And this was like my first real professional submission. Um, and so that's where, if, you know, I can recall like really getting serious about writing. Now, what kind of plays did you write? I wasn't expecting you to say I'm nosy nosy, but I didn't <laughs> expect that. Um, when What kind of plays did you write uh, back then? I just wrote like, you know, black urban. Uh, I've always written love stories. Like my, my, it's, it's, I'm just like into love and uh, it's just something that, you know, I enjoy writing about, honestly, and just black love. So that's what I wrote about. I wrote about Black urban love story. Um, what was this play about? It was a, it was about uh, this guy who uh, he gets out of prison, and he's he's really trying to turn his life around. And uh, uh, of course, his past is is haunting him down because he moves back into the hood, and he meets this girl, and of course, she's not involved in the hood at all. And he's really trying to, you know, you know, be with her and everybody's telling her to stay away from him because he's not he's no good. But she doesn't really see that side of him. And um, yeah, so that's really what that was about. Um, and I and I just enjoy that. And I think that my inspiration behind writing like black urban stories was from authors like Omar Tyree and Eric Jerome Dickey and. Sister Soldier and you know Terry McMillan, those are kind of authors that I was reading in high school. So of course that's kind of where my my inspiration and you know my my writing kind of took. Uh I wanted to be like them, you know. I think a lot of us did. I remember reading Omar Tyree. Uh, when I was younger yeah. and Sister Soldier and Terry McMillan, like all of all of those people, um, I remember reading. Um, and I remember reading like Elin Harris. Oh man, I love, as a matter of fact, I'm like, man, I got to get back. I need to go revisit Elin Harris. I do, as an adult. I just need to do that. <laughs> I think that would be very, very interesting to to reread the story of Raymond and Basil again yeah. as an out adult. I know. Don't you think? Yes, I do. Like that. Would be, Wait, now, now I got to go back and do that. That, that would be a dope ass uh, book club. Just like yes, just go back and yes. read that and talk about it with a bunch of uh, black queer people. Exactly. Ooh. Yes. Ooh, wow. All right, so yeah, <laughs> now you just gave me an idea. I'm like, yeah, I got to go back and do that. <laughs> yeah, with people who've read it before too, like. Yes. Yeah. So um, we talked a little bit about the people that you read when you were when you were younger. I suspect that we read a lot of the same authors. Like, who are your like modern day literary heroes? Oh man, well, Toni Morrison's number one. Um, she she's always gonna be number one for me because. Um, when I, I feel like I went to a shitty high school, I'm a product of, uh, black inner city poor education. So, I, you know, I guess it was the ancestors in the universe that helped me stumble upon her because I was like a nerd and I didn't want to hang out in the lunchroom with everybody. So I would go to the library and read and I came across the bluest eye and that was like, that was it for me, for her. Um, some other ones would be like ZZ Packer. I just got into her. Um, have you ever read this uh, collection called um, Your Does Your Mama Know? Have you ever read that? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it just yet. Man, 
that was that was good. Um, Zora Neale Hurston, that's one of my. Uh, she is just an astonishing writer. Did you read the the book? I think that they were going to release a, a a book of hers recently. The uh, like it was unpublished when she was alive. I have it. It's called. I haven't read it yet though. It's called uh, Barracoon. That's the name of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's on my long list of things to read. So I'm gonna get to it. Yeah, that that list is ever growing. Like when you're a, a book nerd, like that the list is is never growing. But at least you know you never be bored, right? That's right. And then uh, Nicole Dennis Ben, her, um, here comes the song. That that's a really good that's a really good story. Um, and she attributes her writing to uh, Zora Neale Hurston, and I would I would kind of think so as well. Um, yeah. Hopefully I answered that question. Yes, yes, you did. You did. <laughs> oh, and you know who else I, I wanted to talk to you about? Have you ever read any sure. Anne Allen Shockley? No, and I, I can't say I've heard of, of that author either. Check check out Anne Allen Shockley. I stumbled upon her like a couple years ago by accident. I don't even remember how I came across her. But she was uh, writing these um, lesbian stories back in... When was, um, shoot, I, I don't want to be, a long time ago. These stories are old and they, um, they're they good. And she she was a librarian. And the thing that got me about her was that she went to Fisk too. I was like, what? Like, how, how did I not know about this lady? I love it. <laughs> but she's got like three books. One of them is Say Jesus and Come to Me. Uh-huh. The other one is The Black and White of It. and I can't think of the, uh, the the first one of her books that I read, but yeah, check her out. Um, I think you'll enjoy her. Just just like an old school black lesbian writer. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna check her out, and I'm gonna put her. I'm making a note to put her in the story notes so we can all check her out. Those of us who are not familiar with her her writing, yeah. Now I want to ask you a question about your writing. Well, I have a couple questions I want to ask you about your writing. Um, when you're getting ready to write, do you just like scribble things down in a notebook or like on the fly anywhere or anytime, or do you like create a ritual to get in the space of writing? And I feel like that's kind of chaotic evil versus lawful good, (laughs) but like, where do you fall within those two extremes? Um, I'm like chaotic. I, I I don't have a routine. I wish I did. I really do. I I admire writers who like I I do this and that and I do this routine. I would love to be that person, but but really it's like um, I just walk around with all these stories in my head, and then what happens is um, a story has to come out, and then it just forces me to sit down and write it. You know. And I can't stop writing it until the story is out. And so that's pretty much it. And then I have to sit down and force myself to write, excuse me, on a consistent basis. Um, and the thing is, it's crazy that I have to force myself to do it because when I sit down and do it, it's like the best place in the world. Um, but it's just not always easy to, um, especially now that I'm older, to just to kind of get get the get to it um but if you have any tips on how to be a more disciplined writer I'm all ears <laughs> all right now you're talking to the person who will literally be a creeper watching someone online at Walgreens and start whispering into their phone about something that inspired <laughs> uh, me to make up stories about their life and then eventually like put that into a story like six months later. So <laughs> I kind of think you're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> if I had any tips, I would give them to you, but I don't. Okay. Well, dang, you know, I'm going to just keep on doing it this way and hopefully I can pump out some, some books that people will enjoy. I mean, you got to, like, I, I I understand the whole idea. You have to sit down and start writing before the faucet turns on. I get it. But sometimes 
it's a struggle. It is. <laughs> um, like you said, like the older we get, I mean, it's not like you can just lock yourself in a room like as a 15, 16 year old anymore and just write, write, write. Like we're, we're yeah. adults, we have families, we have responsibilities, we have jobs. So I get that it's it's difficult. It's it's um it's difficult to to find that time. Um, but I guess the only thing I say is you got to snatch it when you can. Like um, sometimes that means getting up at four o'clock in the morning, or it means writing on a lunch break or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now a follow up question to that. And this is just me being Pearl again from 227. <laughs> you posted a video of your writing desk on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that desk, damn it. Yes, that desk. Well, I mean, I can't even talk because I have like random vitamins, a headphone, <laughs> microphone, uh, a cup of coffee right now on my desk. So I, I have no room to judge. There's no judgment here. But at what point do you look at the desk and say enough is enough? And how long does it take you to mess it all up again? You know what? I just cleaned my desk um, this week, actually. I said, I, I just can't live like this anymore. This is just unbearable. Like, why is it like this? And um, so I can usually go how about a good month just piling stuff up and it's like control chaos. I'm like this pile right here. This is my work pile. This is my writing pile. This is my reading pile, you know, and then it just hits me one day. I can't take all this shit and, and I need to be able to clean the space out so that I can get some clarity here. And, uh, my desk is pretty clean right now, actually. Yeah. So that's the story behind that. Um, you know, I let it pile up a little bit and then I take care of it. I don't just, I can't really do my best writing that way. It just happens to be that way. And I just feel like, you know, sometimes I'm just going to post what's happening in my life for real. And maybe some people can relate, you know, like, no, my desk is not, you know, I don't have the pencils in the cup right here. And the books neatly stacked and my calendar right next to it. <laughs> that is not, that's not me anyway. And, and kudos to those who can, can live their life like that. I'm, I, I admire you. As a fellow messy Marvin, I'm with you. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I get that you people, they have their, their writing space and they have candles and they have this and that. And I'm just like, no um <laughs> yeah I'm with that like there are days like I will clean it up and have my candle and all that too I'm gonna have to post a picture to um you know to show the other side of of my desk so I'm not so people are like look at that and that you know <laughs> no sometimes it's clean you know I mean, sometimes it's better than than never. So there you go. again, no judgment, and I'm with you completely. Right. Like it'll get cleaned eventually. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. When I was reading your blog, also I noticed that you mentioned that you plan to write a series of novellas, short novels for the uninitiated. Um, so my question to you would be: Why do you have a preference for novellas over novels, and do you ever plan to write a full length novel? Um, I don't really have a preference over, um, uh, novellas over novels. It's just happened that to, to be like my initial, I was like, I'm going to write a, really what it started off was it's going to be a collection of short stories and it was going to be book one, book two and book three. But then when I got with my editor, she was like, these are like, you, you could turn these into novellas and have. Um, and then we released them separately. And I was just like, oh, well, there's a thought. Let me just do that. So it's not that I have a preference over novel. And, and I'm hoping one day um, to write a full length novel. I'm not opposed to that. It's just that this is where I am right now. It's the stage in my life that I am. And, and uh, I just kind of want to finish the series of novellas because each of the novellas has a story 
um, it's a continuing story, basically. So it's a part one, part two, and part three to each of the, the beginning novellas. Now, does it like uh, draw upon the same cast of characters or is it like one story, a continuation of the other? Are they loosely connected? Yeah, so they are, they're the same stories. It just continues. So um, Rainbow, there's more, there's more to that one. And, and then the next novella that I'm getting ready to release is uh, Boomerang. And uh, you're jumping ahead of me. Oh, here. my bad, my bad. <laughs> But it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to ask you about Boomerang in a little bit. All right. So with Taylor, like that was the end of the beginning of Taylor. Right. And so there's more, there's more to, to her story. She's got something else to say. And, uh, I'm hoping that, uh, I have the ideas, but I really haven't started on that one, but there are others the the other novellas for the first book have already been written and edited. And it's just a matter of getting them out. And then uh, some of the stories have, I've already started on them, like the second, the second book to them. Okay, well, I certainly look forward to these. I'm like rubbing my hands together, like, you know, that, that bird man gift. This is me rubbing <laughs> my, my hands together right now. Just, just messing everything up. That's what I like to hear, too. One person is excited about more, and that's that's one person more than none. Exactly, exactly. Now, I just want to dig a little bit further into novellas. And um, in cooking, we have the process of reduction, right? As the water evaporates, you're left with a sauce that's deepened in flavor and thickened and caramelized into something that leaves you smacking your lips. I feel like a well-written novella does the same thing, but there's an art to it. And it's different from writing a novel. Like, as we said earlier, you're pursuing your certificate in writing. And I know you have a lot to say about the art of writing novellas because you've written some. Now, what makes a good novella to you? Um, well, from what I've learned, I think what makes a good novella is being able to introduce a character and tell their story without um, like big gaps in, in who they are. And also, uh, I think leaving the reader wanting, I, and this is just my opinion. I think leaving the reader wanting a little bit more, wanting to know more, I think that makes a good novella. Like, man, I wish that wouldn't have ended. I, I really want, I really want a little bit more. Um, that's the part about writing novellas that makes it fun for me. Um, as a reader, I enjoy reading books where if, when I close it up, I'm still thinking like, what happened? Like what? Like, and then I'm left to be able to kind of play around with the story in my head and figure, figure, um, figure some things out for myself. That's what I really enjoy. And I think makes a, a good novella. Yeah, I think the best stories are the ones that stick with you after you've closed the book or after you turned off the movies, like the ones that you just can't stop thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, what, what Some of the reviews that I got back, though, to be honest, were like, man, I wanted more. Um, and it wasn't like in a positive way. So um, what I've decided to do is like kind of sit back and uh, reexamine and just go back to school on it and just be like, um, does this work? Does this work for readers? Or it, or even do I even care? You know, <laughs> do I even care that uh, it works or not? Or is it? I'm, is it just about you know getting the story out there and doing what I what I really want to do with it? Now that's a very honest answer, and thank you for for being that honest, like in in addressing people who like did not have like such good things to say, like. As a, as a writer, we know we're going to run into those people, yeah. but I think that it takes a particularly strong writer to, to be able to look at that and, and question and think about whether or not it has merit. Mm -hmm. And if um, you want to 
alter, like not necessarily the way that you write, but how you approach stories. Like that's a very honest, um, very honest answer. Oh, thanks. Um. Now, um, you, Verde, released a novella, Rainbow, in December. What was your inspiration for Rainbow? And tell us a little bit about the story as well. Okay. So um, my inspiration behind writing Rainbow is that when when I when I was going into the bookstores and uh, you know I would go on this was just like my thing to do going to the bookstores I'm hitting up the black section and this is when they had a black section right they they and and you go over there and they got like ten books you know and it's not very diverse and you got to order the book you want and wait for it to come in and all these different things is going down. I just wanted to be, I just want to be a part of writing um, our stories, Black, queer, lesbian, women's stories, and just being a part of that because I don't, I feel like there just needs to be more. Not that there aren't any, but we need more. And there are just so many of us out there, but we're not writing our stories because no one is like really calling for us to, to tell our stories, you know? And so we just have to tell them ourselves and they, they don't have to always be about like just loaded up with sex because, you know, that's such a stereotype that we're just, you know, fucking each other all day long, basically, you know, it's like way more to um, the black woman's relationship than that. And I wanted to, to be able to write about it and I wanted to contribute to that. And um, uh, Rainbow is about um, Taylor, and she is on a journey of self-discovery, just like learning a, to 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 love herself and and really be who she she is. And I think that um, she's a relatable character um, in that she um, she just goes through it, like who, who trying to decide if, Am I going to please? everybody else in my life or am I going to learn to, to to really just look at myself and be okay with who I am regardless of who who approves of it or not like where does my happiness play in um my own life and I think that as young people especially when you're trying to figure out who you are in terms of your sexuality it's a story that um I don't think could be told enough especially about black people and I think that it's a story that Black people can relate to because, you know, there are the stories where your mother doesn't accept you and is really putting the pressure on you to, to kind of be somebody else and, and please her because, you know, oftentimes we want to please our parents. And so Taylor deals with that. And she just deals with um, a lot of, things that are going on around her in, in society, like just being a black woman and being a black person in America and just trying to uh, mesh, just trying to figure out who she is through it all. Um, and I think that's something that's really important, uh, important topic, especially, you know, n now more than ever, we have a certain level of comfortability about talking about being black and the trials and tribulations that we deal with. Um, but I think that there's a deeper layer to it when it comes to being black and gay. Um, and I don't know if we've gotten to that comfortability level, even within the black community. Um, you know, when we're talking about black lives matter and um, the social movement that we're in right now in 2020. So, um, you know, there's there's rainbow right there, and I think um, the good perfect time to to have it out there in the world. I think so too. Um, and there's even division within the the black gay community because they were having that discussion um, a while ago about Black Lives Matter versus All Black Lives Matter. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like it's it's the perfect time. I mean, I don't I personally don't get it. I thought that we were included in that anyway. Um, but I see how some people might want to make that distinction. Um, yeah, especially when 
the um when you have um transgender black women being murdered and it's not talked about um within black lives matter and i think that's when it becomes a problem um it's like hey wait 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 a minute you trying to tell me that these black women are being like i'm talking like they it's just the numbers are just like it's unbelievable. It's like, so don't nobody care about that though? Yeah, I you heard know? the life expectancy was like, what, 35, which is sad. That's horrible. Come on, come on. And then like, um, you 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 po- you repost it, right? You know, you repost it and it doesn't get reposted just because people are like, nah, I'm not with that. And it's like, but aside from who, what lifestyle they live in, this was a black person a human being. And I think that that's something um, Black Lives Matter needs to deal with. They need to go ahead and, uh, you know, reckon with that because that's that's unacceptable. And I think that's where the divide comes in. And um, nah, 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 we all matter. Like all the Black people, all the Black people. So when you got an epidemic of Black women, regardless of how you feel about their sexuality, being murdered, and not one uh, murderer has been brought to justice, that's a fucking problem. No, that's unacceptable. It's a serious problem. And, um, And it's, to me, like, it's ironic because Black Lives Matter started by queer Black people. So it's almost like, how did the cart get away from the horse, so to speak? Because then we... Then we talk about the divide within the community in that way, right? That goes into a whole different conversation. It sure does. It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there. There are these conversations that we get into sometimes here on the show. Uh, like I was talking with Erica, <laughs> the narrator. She's a masculine of center black woman, and. Oh, I was listening to that. I was enjoying yeah. that. Man, that was that good. was that was a good one. And she had a lot to say about, you know, her experiences and misconceptions of her as a as someone who is more masculine presenting. Cause I think she she stated mm-hmm. like quite emphatically she doesn't identify one way or another. But her um the perceptions of her as a masculine of center woman. So like when we start talking about these things, I'm just like, I could just go a whole other hour just talking about uh, things that like are not even related to to writing, just like issues yeah. of gender and issues of, of mm-hmm. sexuality. And I keep saying one yeah, day I'm going to do that, but. <laughs> she brought up some really good points too, you know, about, I was right there with y'all when she was talking about why does it matter? You know, I'm still a mm-hmm. woman. Yep, 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 yep. Before this this conversation gets too far away from us, um, which, like mm-hmm. I said, again, we could go another hour, we could go another two hours just talking about gender and sexuality. Um, I'm going to do a hard pivot here and talk about Rainbow and talk about your your novellas. Like, I don't know about you, but like when I'm writing these characters, like sometimes I have a specific image of what they look like in my head. Sometimes a person's famous. Sometimes it's like a completely fabricated person. Like, do you, would you think about what the characters look like? Like, is there anybody you have in mind, anybody that you cast in those roles? Um, no, I, no, that's a good question. I never really, I like to try to, I think the one of the best parts about writing is being able to make it up. And so um, I don't, I've never kind of like put one of my characters like, oh, you know, you are this person like you're this person that I just came that I made up in my mind now what do you look like kind of like that so I have an idea of what Taylor looks like but I haven't uh compared her to anyone and that sounds like a fun activity to kind of do like who would Taylor be in real life you know like who could I compare her to like a a superstar or a movie star 
Yeah, there's an Instagram that that does that. They take uh, different characters. I don't know if it's like a specific author that's doing that or just, um, mm-hmm. you know, different lesbian authors. And of course, like, I, I don't think I've seen any black characters or any black actresses on that Instagram just yet. Uh, of course, uh, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just I was just about to ask you to give me the the info on that, but I'm in a hard pass. I, you know, I was like, yeah, I was just I just I'm like, let me just throw that in. It's not our stories and not necessarily our characters, but I think that that's like that's a fun exercise. Yes, I like the idea, and I hope that some black person does that for us, and not just be about black people, but you know, other ethnic groups as well it's just so crazy that we're still dealing with that kind of thing it's like come on now you know that's got it there's way more than just one kind of person in the world you know that right yeah and that's um, why we have to tell these stories right mm-hmm. we have to tell these stories because it's like nope nah you know I don't need you to tell the story I'm gonna tell it myself and you said something earlier that really just like struck me right in the forehead like if you wait for people to to ask you to tell these stories like you'll never tell them so just get out there and tell them yeah I love that absolutely love that I like that though I like um I like the idea of uh that just sounds like just like a fun activity that could probably open up a window a door to more creativity um trying to look at characters even not even the ones that I've written but just different characters and and who they would be in in real life or even another character on TV. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like fun. All right. So you Instagram creators out there, uh, Facebook creators out there, <laughs> we're sending you a challenge. <laughs> Set Absolutely. Up. Get on it. Get on it. I know Don't there's wait. somebody out there who wanted to do that. So this hopefully whoever that is is listening and they just got their inspiration. Uh, you can start on that as soon as you're done listening to our podcast. Though. <laughs> Don't go away, <laughs> especially because I have just a couple more questions for you. Now, do you have any upcoming projects? Now I'm going to go back to <laughs> where we started with Boomerang. Uh, is there any upcoming projects such as your new novella Boomerang that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Yeah, so Boomerang is coming out in 2021 at some point, and uh, I put it out there because I'm like, I put myself under the, you know, the, the pressure. It's like, nah, you need to move on. So, um, so Boomerang is my 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 second novella that's coming out, and it's basically about <clears throat> Boomerang is about a reckoning with with yourself. Okay, so the main character. Um, he uh, he presents himself as like a, a squeaky a sweet squeaky clean kind of a person. So and then um, what we know is that oftentimes when you present yourself as some like I'm so perfect and I'm so pure that it comes back to bite you, bite you in the ass. And so he has to face his inner demons and uh, from his past and kind of be honest with himself. So that's kind of the gist of Boomerang. Sorry, I was just having a moment of freaking out there because I went to unmute myself and then I pressed the uh, Windows button and I'm about to open up a program. I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's all good. Okay. (laughs) I just literally just had a moment of panic. And like, I think we're still in the middle of like Mercury retrograde. So for that hot second, I'm just like, please do not let me shut off this computer in the middle of this damn interview. Yeah. Ancestors universe, please. (laughs) Don't, don't, no, please don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) now now is my favorite part of the show which Verity probably knows about because she was listening to Erica earlier but uh, we get to sip some tea on our guest now I can ask you a yes I can ask you a serious question or I can ask you a silly question okay and I get to pick no (laughs) 
know. What kind of interviewer do you take me for? What kind of fun would that be, right? Okay. Yes, what kind of fun would that be? Now, I know I'm ready for this, and our listeners are definitely ready for this, but Verde, are you ready for this? Ready. Good. You sure? I'm positive. I'm positive. Okay. All right. All right. That's that's the energy I like. Yeah. Now, for your tea question, what is an unpopular opinion that you have? The topic doesn't matter. Any topic. What's an unpopular opinion that you have? Wow, that's a good question. An unpopular opinion? Hmm. Uh, Mm. Shoot, I don't know. Um, give me some examples of unpopular opinions. I'm stumped. Um, any political opinions? Any opinions about dating relationships? Oh, okay, okay. okay. I, got, I got an unpopular opinion. This is going to be real unpopular. And it's probably... I might lose some fans. I don't care. Shoot straight from the hip. I feel like <laughs> I feel like um, black students fare better being taught by black teachers, and uh, um, if we look back in the '60s and the '50s when we were segregated, we saw that we were coming out doctors and lawyers and uh, at a much higher rate than what we currently are right now. Now, I'm not talking about shitty Black teachers, because there are some. I'm talking about Black teachers who care about the outcomes of Black students. And that's unpopular because we live in a society where it's like, oh, we all get together. But we're all getting together. But somehow the Black kids are getting left behind. And so I think that if we look at some of the strategies that worked in the past, for example, more black teachers teaching black kids, we would see some different outcomes. And that is not a popular opinion. And I don't care. No, I don't know why it wouldn't be a, a, a popular no, opinion. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really say that. Yeah. I mean, I can see why you wouldn't be able to say that in certain circles, but in other ones, <laughs> And other ones, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's something that only comes out when you're at the, the family cookout with the brown liquors being passed around, but. <laughs> I might even, I might get in trouble for saying that. Somebody might listen to that and be like, she's a whatever. No. But I'm, I'm not suggesting that other teachers can't teach black Definitely. kids. My point mm-hmm. is, is that they're, they're what we're calling the achievement gap is really an access gap. And we need more teachers in the classroom who care about the outcomes of Black kids. And um, that is a, it is a civil rights issue of today that is um, not being talked about enough. I agree with you. And that is a mic drop moment right there, ladies and gents and um, people, folks. And um, Verde, uh, where can the people reach out to you online? Where can they follow you? You know, just when I called, just when I called you, ma'am, I I realized I didn't ask you what your preferred pronouns are. Oh, she, her. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) We're hour in. I'm like, (laughs) but uh, you can find me on Instagram at the underscore writer underscore Verde underscore Arzu on Twitter at um, Verde underscore Arzu. I'm on uh, Facebook, um, the writer Verde Arzu. I have a page there and also uh, my website, www.verdearzu.com. Yep. I'm all over. And thank you so much. We're grateful that you're all over. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, This was just, it was a dope interview. And I just can't thank you enough for for joining me to just sit down and talk about stuff. 
You know, I, I thank you so much for having me. I was really looking forward to this. I was excited about it. This is my first Black woman's interview, and it was everything. And I, I just felt real comfortable from the beginning. And uh, I appreciate you having this podcast. This is exactly what we need. Thank you. And by the way, I'm going to use that as a quote on the webpage. This was everything. It's going to be big and bold. <laughs> this was everything. <laughs> Straight yeah. from our guest. This was everything, y'all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And I also want to give a thanks and a shout out to our musical well, they're not really musical guests. They're not on the show, but they did give us our theme. So thank you to your to your Modi for this week's theme. And it's a wrap, folks. Uh, we'll be back next week, um, and we will talk to you later. Everybody, take care. Bye bye. <laughs>